Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court, everyone. And we're just continuing to dig deeper on this story with Peng Shui and the situation in China. There's obviously so many layers to this story, and we're going to keep uh, diving into them, sort of peeling the onion back as we move along. And I'm very, very happy to welcome to the show today Andrea Warden, who uh, knows a lot about China. She actually studied it a year or two after I graduated from Stanford. You got your MD in China studies. Then you went on to law school uh, as well. So you're a lawyer, Andrea. You're a human rights advocate. You've been working uh, on issues related to China for pretty much your whole career. And what I even love even more, as we were just discussing before we came on, you actually played tennis when you lived in China for a couple of years. Welcome to the show. And tell me a little bit about your tennis game first before we get into the politics, Andrea. All right. Patrick, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's just uh, wonderful to um, chat with you. And I so appreciate the attention that you are giving to this very important case of, of, of Peng Shui. Um, your guests have been fantastic, and it's, it's great to have her continue to be sort of in the, in the in sort, of front and, sort of front and center, right, um, in, the, in the limelight through your, through your work. So I very much appreciate that. Right, so my tennis game. I played, uh, I played tennis. I played varsity during high school. I went to tennis camp for many, many years uh, as I was growing up. And then I played actually semester of college tennis. I went to Yale. Right. And then, um, right, it's then after college, uh, I went to um, China. I had majored in history and East Asian studies, and I also had studied Chinese. Um, and I ended up in China... Um, I was there for, from early 1987 through the June 4th massacre mm. around Tiananmen Square uh, in 1989. And so, so basically, I was you know, teaching English, and I, but I also had a lot of free time. So I was playing tech down the local tennis crowd, and I became friends with them. And so it was just, I had some great experiences playing tennis, which actually culminated in my um, becoming the um, those singles champion, the women's singles champion wow. in, the fall, in the fall of 1987. Uh-huh. That, sounds, that sounds more impressive than it actually is, <laughs> because like about six women at the time played tennis. You know, so um, so it, was a very er- it was very early mm. in, the, in, the sort of, in the world of tennis um, in, uh, in China, but there was, it was definitely growing interest. Um, and then one thing about where you know, I was living in, in Changsha, Hunan, and there's a connection here with Peng Shui. So Peng Shui is from Hunan. Right. So unfortunately, our paths never crossed because, I, you know, I was there. Yeah, I was there in 1987 and she was born in 1988. Yeah, and it was, re- and it was really the 1988 Olympics um, in Seoul when tennis became, you know, was back in the Olympics. 84, it was sort of a test sport. And then 88, it became in a medal sport again. And that really um, sort of was the birth, I think, Andrea, of tennis becoming as big as it's become within China. And obviously, as you said, you, we, there were six other ladies you were playing with. Were they all Chinese? Yes. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was a small group. So, right. So I, right, when I say I was like single champion, I kind of say that um, tongue in cheek. But they were certainly avid. And then I, 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 I actually had an opportunity to go back to Changsha um, to visit friends and, uh, and former students and also to see my tennis buddies. And it was maybe two or three years later. So, 
um, this would have been then after the you know the, the Olympics and and China sort of been putting a lot of money into the sport. And my friends were so excited about the new stadium that had been built. Right. Um, and oh, you got to come with us and we got to play on these new courts because. In 1987, the courts were like, they had like chickens running around. The oh my like, goodness. There were, wow. There, there were cracks, they weren't well maintained, but there was such a like, you know, like tennis fever when I went back to China in like 1991, 92. So that was exciting to see. Yeah. Well, I, I got to ask you, uh, as we get into the Peng Shui story, and I want to, yeah. I want to get a breakdown at some point of your tennis game as well, Andrea, maybe when okay. uh, you visit New York, I can check you out. You can come to our tennis academy. And, uh, that's my thank you for coming on my podcast, by the way, because you have been in front of, of all issues related to human rights in China. So when you first heard about the Peng Shui story and the situation, what was your first reaction? Oh, um, well, wow, good question. Um, very concerned, like in the sense of like this is not going to end well for her, but also very um, inspired by the fact that she spoke out. Right? She, and she, she's not a dissident, right? She, but she felt very strongly that she needed to go public with these accusations against a very, very powerful a uh, member of the Chinese Communist Party, former official. Um, and so I, I really admired her in that regard, right? Um, so, uh, but as a human rights activist, yeah, and I've been kind of doing this for quite a while. I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. So my, that was my initial reaction. And, and, and I know you've written um, since this is all uh, transpired, as things have transpired in the last six, seven weeks, specifically about your reaction, um, their reaction, I should say, from the IOC, from the International Olympic Committee. Uh, you, since you've listened to a couple of my podcasts, as you told me, you know how I feel about it. I'm just absolutely disgusted by the, the, the public statements and these supposed videos and all that. What, what's your take on how they have handled it up until this point? So I would agree with your assessment. It's just reprehensible their behavior and although it's not surprising because the IOC and the Chinese Communist Party have a long history of a close mutually beneficial relationship and Thomas Bach and Xi Jinping in particular are quite close as I think you know also the the, the official um, that she uh, alleged sexually assaulted her John Gali was also very important in, in sort of supervising the um, the bidding process for the in the, you know around forgetting forgetting for the, the games to China for 2022 yeah. right yeah exactly right so anyway so I think that so so they are um, they are totally intertwined the CCP mm -hmm. and the IOC and um, so I wasn't surprised but I in a way I was sort of shocked in the sense that like I was kind of like okay who's giving who who's the PR firm you know for the IOC <laughs> like right right like ridiculous and, and like this was not going to look obviously was not going to look good for um for thomas bach and the ioc right but then i thought okay well actually the only people that they're listening to really are the chinese communist party and interestingly the the chinese olympic committee um opened an office in los Angeles in like i think december 2018 and apparently it's one of the it's very unusual for a national olympic committee to actually have an office in Los Angeles. So there's, there's just a lot of, you know, there's a very close relationship, right? So between um, the Chinese government and the Communist Party, 
the IOC, Thomas Bach, it's all sort of intertwined. Um, yeah, and, and also Chimwa and IOC Media. So this, so basically, it's like you know, I can imagine Xi Jinping saying, "Hey, Thomas Bach, you know, can you give me a hand here, like a little, a little assist?" Mm -hmm. You know, and, and she just played right into it, right? So, so absolutely complicit, um, and and just shocking, right? So you know, right, just horrible to be part of this, and then to then continue to be part of this like cover up and, and the CCP propaganda. Well, it's, it's, it's horrible, and it's, of course, it also then exposes just how incredibly hypocritical the IOC is, because they have all this, you know, this wonderful rhetoric about, you know, human rights and universal, you know, universal values and the, you know, importance of sport for humanity, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, they just are essentially helping the Communist Party, um, you know, quash these allegations, and, um, yeah, so, anyway. So, so not 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 happy, but but certainly not at all actually surprised. Not surprising, but I guess it you know for for those of us that you know we assume you know uh, that there's obviously connection between um, not just the Chinese party uh, and the Olympics, the IOC, but you know the U.S. Olympic Committee or any you know any big country. You assume there's this connection, but I guess when it was it was it, this came out, like you said, you weren't surprised, but then all of a sudden you see it and you're like, are, are they kidding? I mean, do they actually, do they actually, I mean, does this guy actually think they had one of the former members on, I think it was a Canadian guy and you're, and I'm watching this and I'm like, I mean, is this for real? I mean, I can't even believe that he's saying these things like, oh, well, you know, we had four ex-athletes talk to you know, Peng Shui on the video and the ex-athletes, they know about competition and, you know, being in tough, I'm like, what in the world does this right. have to do with anything you know like that i was a former professional tennis player or uh you know that all of a sudden like i would be knowledgeable talking to someone in this type of situation is <laughs> the most asinine thing i've ever heard and he was saying it like like that was like routine right oh yeah no i agree i mean his his various interviews i mean it's, it's six, it's six pounds you know his, his interviews have just been outrageous you know and and I, at first, I was like, is, "Is he really just kind of losing it, or does he actually believe this? Is he sort of does he have some sort of mental health issue? Like, what is going on?" And I just think they really are totally embedded, the CCP and and the ISC, in a, in a way that is not um, sort of that no other uh, national Olympic committee mm. or ruling party or government is. I mean, certainly, right? We would expect you know um, praise from the IOC, you know for any country, right, that's hosting right. Olympics, right, together, and, and so that's sort of expected. But if you look at um, the sort of various um, statements from Thomas Bach over the past few years, and then even before that, you know, and from Jacques Rogue, 2008, this goes above and beyond right, anything that you would see, for example, from like a Western country or from, you know, like, South, like take South Korea and the 2018 Winter Olympics, right? So, so there's something here, and it's actually absolutely something worth investigating. Like, what is going on with the IOC? All right, so Andrea Warden is joining me here on Holding Court, and uh, she's a lawyer, she's a human rights advocate, she's an educator as well, has been for many years in her incredible career, and she focuses on China and the UN human rights system. So when you look at um, how this is unfolding, and, and let's stick with the Olympics just for the moment, because I know you wrote an art, a piece on this on ChinaChange.com, um, uh, where do you, you know, summarize a little bit for the audience sort of what you talked about in that article? Sure. So this is an 
an article that I wrote um, in April of this year, and I was essentially it was sort of an early call for uh, right-respecting countries to engage in a diplomatic boycott. Um, and the reason that this I felt, and, and others too at the time, people was quite important, was that you know these these Olympics basically glorify Xi Jinping. They give him legitimacy, and they are essentially when when diplomats come and you know. Present there for the opening ceremony, they are they become part of the propaganda spectacle, and they are essentially giving their imprimatur to what what's being said, what's being shown, Xi Jinping's policies, et cetera, et cetera. So, and of course, your listeners know, um, you know, there are just a tremendous number of, of human rights abuses happening like daily, incredibly severe um, in China. Not to you know. Of course, many people have, rightly so, on their minds, the, the genocide um, in uh, Xinjiang against the Uyghurs. Right. There's that. There's also Tibet. There's Hong Kong that, you know, Daryl Morey had tweeted about. I think mm-hmm. one of your previous events that, right? You know, so it is just a slew of issues. And then the human rights lawyers in China just being, you know, just like locked up, you know, you know essentially disappeared. Your guest, Peter Dolan, also talked about that, right? The use of disappearance. I mean, the list goes on and on. We don't have. A, I wouldn't have enough time on your podcast to go on and on. But, but to, to, I mean, to, to sort of go through the whole list, right? But basically, I was, I was sort of uh, the main point was that we we really can't be, we shouldn't be complicit mm-hmm. in um, legitimizing these games. So basically, you think the diplomatic boycott, which has already been announced by the U.S. and and lots of our country, other countries have followed suit, is the way to go. You're not calling for an overall like an athlete athletes boycotting the games, right? Right, correct. Because I absolutely do not. I mean, the athletes should not be penalized for the human rights abuses of the Chinese, you know, the Chinese right. government is it, right, right, it's committing, or for the IOC's like you know, ridiculous. Decision-making process around who gets to host the games, right? So, so I and I really feel for the athletes because you know they are absolutely stuck in the middle. You know, I'm sure I'm sure many of them are very concerned about what's happening in China, but they, you know, but they are they're you know, they're professionals, and of course the Olympics is like the biggest thing, right? Some of them this is going to be their you know their perhaps their one and only shot or their last shot, right? Um, and they should be deprived of that, right? So, and I'm I personally like I'm like, like a huge. Uh, winter sports fan, and I'm a former ski instructor, so I feel very strongly. I'm a huge fan of Michaela Schiffer, and I feel really strongly about this. You got, you got, um, you but, got the you got the summer sport in tennis, and then you yeah. got the winter sport in skiing. <laughs> I, I knew there's a reason why I needed to have you on, Andrea. Right. Other than your your expertise in China. Oh well, no, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, sort of, yeah, huge fan of sports. So, so but I did want to. Oh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Finish, please. Oh, okay, right. So, um. So, but I do think that there are other things that we can do, right? So I should be mindful of the time. Yeah, so you've asked some of your other um, your other guests. Well, I mean, there are other things that can be done and probably will be done. Um, well, first, I imagine some of the athletes will, will, will find a way to um, to express their um, you know their sort of uh, their views on, on what's happening in terms of you know, various issues in China. It might be subtle, like for example, there's a um, for the Me Too movement. Um, there's there's a symbol it's in Chinese me too uh, so m e t o o the Chinese characters are like rice the character for rice is me and the character for bunny is two okay. so there are all kinds of like huh. like memes and images 
combining like rice and bunny, you know, right? Like as a symbol for the Me Too, you know, the Me Too movement, right? So I can imagine a snowboarder like painting that on the you know, on the bottom of her snowboard, for right. example, or, or or athletes you know, wearing very special pins, perhaps also speaking out. Um, and I think that the National Olympic Committee should absolutely be encouraged, you know, I mean, should be, it should not be um, censoring their athletes, but it's also very important for the National Olympic Committee to, to be, um, to be telling the athletes the various, the various risks that they face. Mm. Well, I remember going to the Olympics uh, as a coach for the team, uh, the tennis team, the men's team in Athens. And I remember sort of being, you know, in, with all the, the, the team and the staff being sort of, you know, given, re, re, not read the riot act, but read sort of, well, you know, you're, it's just the Olympics. You're not supposed to make any political statements, you know, that whole thing. So we'll see, as you yeah. say, rightly say, like what, how the athletes kind of handle that and, and see who's got the courage to, um, to step up and, and, and make some sort of public statement. Now I want to get back to Peng Shui because, uh, you know, you said to me initially when you saw this that you were extremely concerned. And, of course, those of us in the tennis world that, that know her, as I do, as you've heard my podcast, you know that she was on the same team tennis team with me. I, I, I'm not going to say I'm great friends with her, but I, I know her. She was a, always a very friendly person around the tour, always smiling, always laughing, just a wonderful personality. So we're concerned mm-hmm. about her. How concerned are you right now about her overall well-being? Very concerned. She uh, is clearly being used as a part of the you know, propaganda campaign, right? Um, she obviously is not free to speak. And her movements are clearly controlled. She sort of appears when the, the Chinese government needs her to appear for various these various performances, right? These so-called video, these video calls, nobody's seen the footage of these video calls, right? But she just shows up, right? I mean, she, and so as Peter Don and, and, and Yashi did a nice job explaining, I mean, she, yeah, she's not free, she's being controlled, and, um, you know, she has no, like, essentially no free will at this point. She is, um, her, you know, her movements are, are, are controlled. She certainly doesn't have access to a lawyer, Right. If she did, we would have heard from him or her by now. And I, the one thing that I would say um, about in terms of um, possible, uh, you know, I might sort of disagree with Peter on uh, in, uh, in one aspect. We don't know that she is physically safe. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter had sort of suggested that, uh, you, know, and, you know, I think felt very confident that she was. My take is that she could easily be, like, for example, being sexually abused. You know, in a way that, like, doesn't leave any marks or scars, you know, physically, right? We just don't know because she's not, she's in touch with nobody. And so, you know, sort of the legal term for that is, you know, she's being held in, incommunicado. She can't, you know, is she talking to her family? Is she talking to her friends? She's certainly not able to talk to Steve Simon of the WTA, right? So I'm, so I'm, I'm extremely concerned, and, and I know that we're probably running out short on time, but I did want to make one Point um, that I think is important for your, I think that your listeners perhaps would be quite interested in, right? Is that um, a couple of times Thomas Bach has mentioned this, oh, you know, like, we're going to, I'd love to have dinner with you right. when I arrive, right? When I arrive in Beijing in like, late January, early February, we'll bring like, these other IOC people, right? We'll have this, like, nice dinner. Mm. He said it's quite, that dinner is going to be like the grand finale of this, um, 
of this show, mm-hmm. right? So, and so, and it will be videotaped, it will be aired. One question is like, will NBC be, mm. you know, right? Will they be covering this? Like, oh, look, you know, like a snippet of the, you know, the dinner where, you know, Peng Shui is acting like everything is perfectly fine. We don't hear from her actually, you know, her actual, like, okay, this is what's really going on, folks. Or like, you know, it'll be completely scripted and staged. And, and then after that, right, what happened? So my concern is that, is that, you know, the, um, after that, the sort of grand finale of this box dinner and who else, who, who knows who else will be part of this, right? That, um, that she is just going to really po- possibly disappear. And, and I think that the Chinese Communist Party is hoping that the world will kind of forget about her after the Olympics. Interesting. Right? So, and, yeah. Wow. It's a so in, very interesting so, twist. And, it, you know, you bring up something about NBC broadcasted, of course, in the United States. Will they, yeah. how will they handle it? Yeah, and then, and then one final point. And again, I'm sorry. I, 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 no, you I can keep going. This is fascinating. I mean, you can listen. I told you earlier, Andrea. This is my podcast, so we can do whatever we yeah. want. Okay, we can stay on. And this is fascinating. So please take your time. Okay, thank you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. There, I think there is. I think you mentioned in your in your opening. There's so many layers to this, um, and you know, so much of it also is a show. And you know, we're of course not hearing from her directly, right? So, so basically, I'm right. So there's the, you know, NBC, you know, right, complicit, right? I mean, if it, you know, even just, you know, broadcasting any of this, oh, for example, I think I mentioned this in my, um, in my piece for China Change. So we, we can totally expect that there will be some, you know, in terms of the opening ceremony, of course, China is just going to, you know, the Chinese government will put on an amazing show, you know, just like in 2008, right? And the word in the world was like, holy shit, like, Wow. Wow. Right? Yeah, they can, they can, and that, that we know they can do. Absolutely. Right, right, right. They can do that. Absolutely. And so, so here, when we had, there is such, you know, repression, right? And, um, and, you know, killing, torture, abuse, you know, the list goes on and on. In, um, you know, in specifically Tibet, now, now Hong Kong, but also Xinjiang, in Xinjiang, right? So, so we should, we should be expecting, right, that, there's, there are going to be some Uyghurs um, and some Tibetans who are in their like sort of uh, you know, costume, you know, traditional clothes or whatever, you know, on you know on skates or you know just basically um, smiling, happy, like oh, the happy ethnic minorities kind of thing. Right. We should, like, should totally expect that that's going to be part of this, right? And as she's been with the you know, grand plans for like ethnic unity and solidarity and the collective consciousness of like in China, like we're all one big happy family. That is going to be just sickening. And so does NBC want to be part of that, right? Is NBC going to be like showing that? Like, you know, so, so if I leave that, I'll just leave that there. Then, and then finally, the, so I do want to mention, if back to Peng Shui, um, is it, is it, so, so after all of this, right, she has this dinner that's, going to be the, the Chinese government and the IOC is going to sort of uh, show, you know, sort of demonstrate or use to demonstrate like, oh, she's completely fine. People need to stop worrying about her. She's free, whatever. She can do whatever she wants. So we know that's not the case. So if, if, she, if she remains in China, which is very likely, she will continue to be controlled and used. Like, she'll be prodded out, okay, maybe right, occasionally for a tennis thing or whatever. Right. But she will be free. Like, for example, I think, yeah, you know, so there's another thing, too, right? She has not, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that she announced retirement 
right? No, she is Did not. You- I mean, she hasn't played for a while. I believe she was injured. And so she didn't, hasn't played actually since I believe before the pandemic hit. So that's, you know, about two years ago and she is you know, she's right. in her mid thirties. So right. uh, she's had a great career. Obviously was great doubles player, top 15. She got to in singles, so an excellent career, but I believe she had some injuries. Um, but uh, what do you think? You think they're going to use this oh. as a way to say she's like now retired? Yes, right. I, that exactly. So that's my thought, right? Is that they would sort of they would essentially like the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, officials would say, oh, you know, they will retire her effectively, right? So I mean, this is like sometimes you know, this is what I'm thinking. I don't know. <laughs> There's so little that we actually know, right, about what's going on. But that would be convenient, right? As you said, injuries. You know, she's in her mid 30s, etc. So so that way she gets. You know, sort of off of or out of the sort of the world of international tennis and competition, right? So if you think about it, if, if she were able to, if she continued to compete, so let's say if she, I mean, it's obviously too late now, but if she were, if she were going to go, you know, compete at like, let's say the Australian Open, certainly her mind, you know, the CCP uh, minders, you know, be all over her. Like she would not be, you know, free there. You know, maybe she could play tennis. But even so, you know, they they would be very concerned about like the fans, the crowds, like banners, like yay, like we support you, punk try, right? Like, and the Chinese government can't control that, like in Australia, right? Right. So, um, so, so anyway, so they they don't want to you know create a situation where that happens, or like an Australian journalist, like hey, punk try, can I have a word with you, right? So, so they, I think they're going to remove her from the world of of tennis. And then, um, and then if they do, though, so, so she, she's in China, she's going to be controlled and monitored. She, her, all of her, you know, internet accounts are shut down. Like, she, she's isolated. Um, and so, that, but then, like, let's say they let her out. Maybe you're thinking, trying to think strategically. Like, like, they let her out. Oh, you know, we're going to let her go to U, the U.S. to recover for, from her tennis injuries or, you know, or rehab or whatever. Let's say she manages to leave China. Even then, she will still be controlled because you know there are family members. She'll have family members in China, and the the threat will be there. Like it, you know, punctually, if you speak out in the U.S. or whatever country you might end up in, your family here will suffer. Mm. That is, is an increasing tact, increasingly <laughs> kind of used tactic by the Communist Party. Is that there's actually a term for it, not just China, but also Russia and other authoritarian countries, it's called transnational repression. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, the, the, the Uyghur Human Rights Project just issued a report called, you know, it says, quote, your family will suffer. How China is hacking, surveilling, and intimidating Uyghurs in liberal democracies. You know, so, so, so she will, she's not going to be free, even abroad. So I, I was thinking about, you know, what, what are the possible outcomes for her? I just got really depressed. Mm. I'm getting depressed listening to it because it doesn't, it doesn't, no, I mean, seriously, it's like a, it's it, because, you know, this is sort of, this story, unfortunately, is sort of dying down a little bit. So I get the sense that, um, you know, the mainstream media who, you know, call me uh, periodically when, you know, there's some sort of story in tennis that's more than just tennis, um, you know, those calls aren't coming, you know, forget about me, but even to others, you know, in the tennis world, 
Um, so that's depressing to me, and that's part of the reason why I continue to get people like you to come on and talk about it that really get it and really understand. In fact, Yashwe Sao, who uh, runs the ChinaChange.com, she's the one that tur- tur- told me about you, that I should oh. talk to you. And uh, she said something to me that's still haunting me to this moment, which was a couple weeks ago which was you will there is no chance she said on my podcast a couple of weeks ago there's no chance you will hear from any other athlete from China and you know she's 100% right and so you, you know yes. she's right and now I'm worried that you're going to be right <laughs> yeah sorry I, I didn't laugh no this is this is horrible I mean I guess one thing maybe just perhaps for the tennis world and it's been so great by the way I did want to just say how great you know the WTA has been Simon and all of the tennis players um, who have spoken out on his behalf. I mean, that's just so refreshing, right? Like, I mean, just amazing. So, but it's, it's going to be up to the tennis world, perhaps, to figure out how to, you know, really actually how to help her after the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe invite her to some sort of, you know, invitational or whatever in order to eat. eat, eat Keep the pressure on, basically. You know, say yes. they should. The Australian Open should invite her to come to the Australian Open, for example. And then yes. if she doesn't come to that, the BNP Paribas Open, which is in California in, in uh, March, they should invite her to that. And then they should invite her to the French Open. You know, so um, yes. you, you're right, Andre. And it has been. Uh, you know, I've been proud to be part of the tennis community to see current players speaking out, uh, ex players. You know, big names like Chris Everett, Martina, yes. Billie Jean when- King. Uh, obviously, who have done so much for for women's sports and uh, uh, all over the world. So you know we're going to keep doing our part. Um, I thank you. You know I I hope the men's tour goes along with the women's tour, which they've yet to do. As far mm-hmm. as saying we're not going to play in China, so I'm disappointed thus far. And they have actually less at stake in a lot of ways financially than the women's tour because the women's tour mm-hmm. has, you know, I believe it's ten or eleven events there, whereas the men's mm-hmm. have has a couple. Um, so I'm I'm very you know proud of what Steve Simon and the women's tour in general has done. It sounds like you are as well. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Well, listen, uh, I appreciate you staying on uh, for as long as we did. This is fascinating, and I hope you'll stay in touch with me. I know we'll stay in touch and uh, continue to follow this, because if we don't do it at the moment, it looks like nobody else will. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for your attention on the issue. And, like, yeah, really great. Thank you. Andrea Warden, everyone, on holding court. And at some point, Andrea, I'm going to have to break down that tennis game of yours, okay? That'll be... I would love that. <laughs> well, next time, you, next time you come to New York, you come to our tennis academy. We'll make it happen. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. You got it. Thanks for coming on. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Media.